This time I want to invite Shane Hollenbeck to come. Shane is going to open the word with us. Uh, Shane has accepted a job at Camp Lebanon as their facilities director. I had the opportunity to be one of his references, so I've known this was coming. Shane has been a huge part of Calvary. He and Melinda have been here for 15 years, again, serving in all kinds of capacities. So going through this process, I told him, I said, Shane, listen, we would love to hear from you. before. If you can work it into your schedule to, to speak to us one last time before you move on, we, we would love to hear um, from you again. And so um, this is their last Sunday with us. I'm not supposed to say that when we all might tear up, um, but was really excited to, for him to open God's word with us. So thank you, brother. Yeah, here we go, huh? Um, as Ben said, this is kind of our, our last Sunday, so Tears are going to happen. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to. It just, it's just an outwelling of goodness. You guys have been so good to us. So um, that's going to happen. Uh, and, and in fact, as Ben also alluded to, we're, we're squeezing it in this morning. We're trying to fit one more thing in our busy schedules. And so um, <laughs> our lives are packed away. We're living on a mattress in our basement right now. The moving truck is going to happen on Saturday. And, and then we're going to go. In fact, I'm not even wearing socks today because they're packed away. So <laughs> that's kind of funny. But um, yeah, this is my opportunity to speak to you, and um, so many people have said to me this morning, speak boldly, and um, I, I will. I, I'm going to try my best to do that, and I'm going to try my best to just share with you a lot of love and encouragement, um, but before we do that, let's just go to the Lord, and let's pray and thank Him for what He's done. Father, we just are blown away that we could have a relationship with your son, that you would die and that you would suffer a cruel, cruel and horrible death on our behalf, Father, so that we might be able to know a hope and a joy and delight in a future perfection uh, that has been purchased because of your great love. So this morning, we, we thank you. Um, we thank you for a place that we can come to worship your son, that we can gather together as believers for the edification of the saints, for unity for a likeness and one mindset and to be led by the Holy Spirit to your accord. And Father, we just uh, praise you for that. We praise you for Calvary and we pray these things in your son's holy name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, wow, I'm already crying. I didn't expect to be. Um, if I was to put a bow tie on this morning, if I was to give what I want to say to you, uh, one, uh, word of encouragement or put this sermon in a, in a word. Um, ben had asked me on Tuesday to put a title on a sermon, and I, I hadn't even thought about the sermon yet. And Wednesday, and I had not on Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday at the air show, I, I started thinking I better get this going. <laughs> and uh, the word that I came up with was engage. Uh, and honestly, the the maybe the irony in that is that we are on a membership and a um, annual meeting Sunday, and the word that I've come up with is engage. And so you might think to yourselves that the elders have put me on the spot to uh, talk about how to get plugged into the church. And uh, while that is very true that that's my sermon this morning, that's not true at all. The elders uh, have not asked me to speak in one specific direction. In fact, Ben gave me free reign to go with whatever I wanted to go with. And I could not think of a better way to... Uh, send off maybe my family than to speak to you as if I was writing to you sort of a love letter. And if I was to write to you a love letter, 
the one word that I would have for you that would sum it all up would be engage the church. Engage your church. Uh, and, and this sermon this morning will be my hopes on, on how to promote in you uh, a desire to engage the church and some things that we have done, Melinda and I have done, to engage the church married with Scripture. Uh, and maybe, hopefully, that will set in you a fire. Um, our goal, our dream would just be to see a very robust and beautiful body of believers here that continue to just love and desire and seek the Lord with all your hearts. And we think we have that here. Um, Melinda and I came to Calvary in 2004. Um, and the reason we came to Calvary in 2004 was because we grew up in a Baptist church. And Melinda had found a college roommate who was also Baptist in the Fargo-Moorhead area as Melinda started her endeavors at Concordia who came to this church. And so without Kelly Oss, we would not be here probably. Uh, and so we're very grateful that we're part of just old Calvary's history and lineage in 2004. Linda happened to just be roommated with Kelly, and they started a sisterhood that would go on till today, um, but living together for four years, and every Sunday they faithfully came to Old Calvary. Um, if you know Melinda, it wasn't too long before she got plugged into piano. That's just how it works if you're around her. She's very gifted in that department, and so uh, it wasn't very long before they plugged her into the praise team at Old Calvary. I was trying to quantify some things just because that's how my mind thinks. I feel like I've led worship a hundred times, maybe 200, and that might be stretching it, but Melinda has probably been a part of the worship team and led in some capacity, and I think this is a safe average, close to 500 times. So um, that's just insane to me to think about how many Sundays she's put into playing piano and funerals and weddings and different things. Um, here she was, and I loved her, and so my pursuit for her was to find the church that she was going to and see her on the weekends, and that brought me to Calvary, and um, I fell in love with a couple handshakes. The first time I ever came to church, I was greeted by Austin Shower and Lenny Lukey. And the handshakes were so personable. They just meant the world to me. I was just drawn in. Uh, and I wanted to be a handshaker just like them and to know people just like they knew people. And um, it's just such a culture here at Calvary that we've always been thankful for. And that was our hook. The handshakes and the Ability to use our giftings brought us here and planted us so firmly here that we couldn't escape. We got married. We moved to the Twin Cities for one year. Our prayer there in the Twin Cities was that the Lord would help us to find a church like Calvary. And then the Lord brought us back to Calvary. <laughs> so be careful what you pray for. In 2009, I took a job here as an air traffic controller for about three and a half years. Uh, and then that was terminated as I just couldn't stick uh, that high level of endurance that it requires to be an air traffic controller, and I bounced on my feet to find a job. I ended up in facility maintenance because of very close friends. Katie worked at a place called Touchmark. At that time, it was called Waterford, and uh, landed me a job in maintenance. I honestly could not see the writings in the, on the wall. I, didn't, I had no idea why God chose maintenance. Finished my business degree because what else do you do when you don't have a job that you feel satisfied in but to finish your college degree, got a degree in business, started pursuing opportunities all over to figure out what why life, my DNA was, knew that I loved youth, knew that I loved camping, couldn't figure it out, started doing market research, ended up with a camp director who is now my new boss back in 2013, sitting across from the guy asking him, or 2012, what I should do, encouraged to find an internship at a camp. Ended up directing Camp Joy for four years, which was probably, in my life, one of the most highest honors and things that I've ever been to be a part of. Just the 
running it out and the grittiness of getting something kind of established again and being surrounded by believers who were moving in the same direction, um, being called to go back into a job as a boss in facility maintenance and still asking God, what does all of this puzzle look like? To just recently, last April, getting a phone call from a Bible camp who asked if I would come be their director of facility maintenance and that I might consider doing the interview process, which was long and arduous. And here we are, leaving you guys in a week, uh, where I will be taking the job as a facility director for Camp Lebanon, um, engaging the giftings that God has equipped me with. And you can look at that story and say, Shane, Shane, you didn't really choose that. God chose that. And I believe that's the best part of the story, that God chose all of that. And that's where we're going. Um, and so here we are, engage. Aaron Romain asked me last night, Shane, what's your, your verse? I was leaning towards Isaiah 41.10. The reason I was leaning towards Isaiah 41.10 is because that was one of the first sermons I ever gave at Calvary. I'm just encouraged that you guys still come to this church after sitting through some of my awkward sermons. <laughs> they were bad. Isaiah 41.10 says this, and it's such a good verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a verse for a church. What a verse for a family that's preparing to move. To know that we don't have to fear that God will be with us in our future endeavors, that he will uphold us with his mighty, righteous right hand. So I want to break this idea of engaging the church into three areas. Friendships, family, and then the church as a whole. Uh, and I also want to put on the table my definition of what maybe church is because there's multiple definitions. And so this morning when I'm speaking to you about the church, I am not speaking about the universal church. I am not speaking about all believers, every nation, every race, every tribe, every tongue. The universal church is not really what I'm speaking about this morning, although there might be themes of it. I'm really speaking to you about our local church, about Calvary. I'm speaking to you about a place that is local, but is also unified. And so a lot of this theme is pointing towards serving the church, but I want the overarching theme to be because of Jesus Christ as the unifier of us, as a body of believers, that this is the reason why we love her, that Jesus Christ is the reason for this sermon, that we engage the church because of everything Jesus has accomplished. And although this sermon will reek of benefits that we might get from the church locally, really the arching theme is it is about Jesus. And the reason we love the church is because all of us are unified in one mindset and we share the same Holy Spirit. And here is a place where we have found commonality with people who love like we love and who hurt like we love, who love the same Jesus and hopes that our families might ultimately be pointed more towards Jesus. And so that's my definition of what we're talking about this morning, not the universal church, a physical place this morning, not the global global place, of course, in Christ, rooted in Christ. Things we've experienced along the way, baptisms, funerals, weddings, dedications, youth trips, work days, holidays, nights of worship, teaching, small groups, community groups, services, plannings, meetings with Ben, connection hours, Awana, life groups, and praise team rehearsals. And man, the praise team rehearsals have been hard. <laughs> It's crazy when you're here at 8 o'clock at night with two little boys and nobody to hold them and trying to sing and rehearse. And Man, we would not trade any of it because it's pushed us towards Christ. 
As we engage the church, one of the intentional things Melinda and I did first was to seek friendships. And so my encouragement to you this morning as a body of believers would be either to A, be the friend or find a friend. Neither of them are very easy, um, especially if you're an awkward person. But I, uh, I'm an awkward extrovert, so for me it's actually very easy. Uh, if you're an introvert, it could be a little less easy. And so that is why the emphasis might be on being a friend, because it's not always easy for somebody to make a friend. Why do we make friends? Well, whoever talks with the wise becomes wise, right? And whoever is the companion of the fools will suffer harm. So in a place like this where we know we're with believers, we might be prudent to find believers who then become our wise friends, right? Not our companions that the world would give us that would suffer. A big part of my story is a friendship that looks like this. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. If you know what my relationship looks like with Aaron Carlson, you would know that Aaron has spoke so much wisdom to me and so much truth that sometimes it hurts. In fact, there have been times where he spoke truth so real to me that I've distanced myself from him because it hurt that much. That is a good friend, right? Somebody who can be in your business and who can tell you wise counsel, advice, and even discipline. I remember one time at a softball game with Aaron, I got overheated because I was playing outfield and I stunk it up bad. Aaron's a little competitive and Aaron did not like me out there and Aaron told me that I should move back to the position that I was supposed to be at. For the next five or six minutes, all I could feel coming out of me was rage of pride and anger. Just full board. Aaron and I came to a place where Aaron said, Shane, pride is a big issue for you, isn't it? Those were hard conversations to have with a friend. And he was right. Pride for me has always been a big issue. But this friendship is unique. It speaks wisdom to my life. It lets me know that that's an issue and that it needs to be dealt with. Another big issue that I've always suffered has been at the hand of responsibility. I don't think I was a very responsible person until maybe the last four or five years. But if you knew me at the first 10 years that I was here at Calvary, you would say, is that guy ever going to get that done? Is that guy ever going to turn that in? That guy said he was going to do that like six months ago. Why are we waiting for this? And friends like Scott and Aaron and Aaron Romain chided me so many times for that in love and in wisdom. I don't think I would be capable of moving on to a place where I'm going to be directing things and being the boss of things if it weren't for friends like that, right? That is what I found here at Calvary. Friendship brought Melinda to Calvary, and that's just on a personal note. Calvary is a place where we should seek friendship, where we should be friends and find friends. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have any friends. I don't make friends. I understand. Put yourself out there. See what happens. It's a tough one. I get it. There's a beautiful thing in friendship, though, that I think is just where God meets us. And that is that sometimes we run out of words. And then we can recognize that sometimes all that's needed is a hug. And while that might not seem on the surface as a biblical theme, it is. And that sometimes 
God's grace is all that is sufficient. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is where it gets hard. The hardest moment I have ever had as a friend, bar none, was in a driveway. And I had no words. Life had given the most unthinkable circumstance. And we saw a friend go through the hardest of hard things and lose a child. And there I was in a driveway. No words. Just a hug. Just a huge hug. A huge hug. That is the kind of friendship that you find with believers. For God's grace is sufficient. And everything that we have or want to say is said through a hug. The only thing we had in common that moment was Christ. Linda and I did not know the hurt. We could not experience the hurt. We could not speak of the hurt. We did not have words for the hurt. Christ had all the words. The hug was all we had. And then friends taught us the most unimaginable lesson. That in the hardest times, you can trust the Lord. I remember taking a, a mission trip shortly after Dylan's passing and watching this theme of trust in the Lord with all your heart just come out of our church and come out of the Romains and for them to just say, trust the Lord. What a testimony. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 really says, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, which pretty much says sometimes we won't understand it. And then it says, he is the one who points and prepares our direction. Which means it is straight to him. We might not understand, but he does. Those lessons came from this church. Those lessons came from friendship. Another way of engaging the church outside of friendship is to promote healthy church activity inside your family. We know from Scripture that a husband ought to love their wives as their own body, as their own life. We also know that it's the responsibility of fathers and mothers to bring up their children in the way of them. So, in the last 10 years, I've been able to seek an audience or a perspective, if you will, of the church from the mind of a youth group leader where I've been able to watch children's lives unfold through the course of really 6th grade to 12th grade. And one of the hardest conversations I can ever have with a parent is, my child is A this, or my child is B this, and my child is not this. And sometimes I feel as if that is met with the expectation that the youth leader should fix this in my child. Scripture tells us that we, as families of believers, should be the ones who instruct. That we should be the ones that discipline, not the youth leader. And so while I speak boldly to you this morning, I want to encourage you that if you want to see your children flourish in the Lord, that you be not just a cultural Christian family, not just a family that comes to church 
and expects the church to raise your children, but that you become a Bible-believing family that raises your children and accepts and expects the church to assist. I think that's huge. I think if anything in my mind that I'd want to share with you from just an observational perspective of boldness, that would be maybe one or two. The other two would be in talking about worship, which we'll get to in a little bit. But number one or two maybe would be, parents, you need to raise your children in the Lord. And you can engage the church so that they can assist in helping you raise your children but you raise the children. How do you engage the church, though? Engaging the church looks like sometimes serving the church. Be the youth leader. Be the Iwana leader. Be the prayer warrior. Be the encourager. Write a note. Write a letter. Send a note to a mom who's had a tough day. Be the babysitter. Or use the resources. When you're at your wit's end and you all but want to beat your child, talk to the pastor. Find the library. Lean into your friends. Talk to the youth pastor or the youth leader, but don't expect them to do it for you. On the idea of engaging the church, another area where I'd like to speak boldly to you about your families is making your families available to where the Lord would have you go. We live in a day and an age where our schedules are built around our children and about activities. And we live in a day and age where our schedules are nothing short of busy. Is your family available to the Lord? Is your family available to the church? Is your schedule dictated by the activities? Is your schedule dictated by their athletic interests, their academic interests, their desires, or are you as a family intentionally pulling out of that and pointing towards the church? Because as you refocus your children's mind towards the importance of Christ, they will see that it is not just the activities that are important, but that Christ is important to your household too. Also, what are you tied to? Are you tied to your house? Are you tied to your routine? Are you tied to your schedule? There are many of us that will be asked to stay and send others. But God never asked us to let our possessions be the anchor. God has always asked for a willing heart with which he'll qualify. And the last thing, if we've talked about families and we've talked about relationships, and investing our families into the church and investing our relationships into the church and engaging in the church in that way, we might also want to look at ourselves and our own involvement in the church. My encouragement to you would be this, that First Peter 4.10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And dot, 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 in various forms, right? It's easy for people to notice Shane Hollenbeck, not just because he's obnoxious, but because the things that I do in the church sometimes, the giftings that I use are leading worship, are behind the pulpit, are on big trips with the youth group, right? And for whatever reason, God has 
set me up to be the clown, the, like, the guy that you'll notice, right? Not everybody in this church is going to have that service gift. Some of us are going to serve cookies and hope that we just blend in. And some of us are going to fill communion cups. And some of us are going to write letters of encouragement. And some of us are just going to pray with each other. But that's why the Bible includes various forms, that we're not all given the same gifts, right? And that there is an admonishment there that we should use our gifts. That is how we promote the gospel. I think that if I was to be bold to you, I would also say that you need to get, if you're a believer, you need to get on the membership rolls. That if you're a family that's coming to Calvary and, and you're not a member of the church and you're asking yourselves, how do I serve the church and how do I get involved? Remember that membership rolls serve to unify the mindset of the church with your mindset so that we feel confident in equipping you and in endorsing you to lead in certain capacities. And so when you say, well, I would like to lead the youth or I would like to, I would encourage you to first take the steps of endorsing your claim to be one with us. And I think membership is important in that way. Another thing I've learned in being engaged in the church and an area where I would encourage you to see the church loving you and helping you to just be pointed towards Christ would be that if you see the children around you, you might remind yourself that children can teach too. That children have an opportunity to display their heart in a way that is unlike anything you or I are capable of. And that if we would allow ourselves to see Jesus the way that they see Jesus, we would be so much farther along. And to that end, one way to experience te children teaching us that lesson is to be with the children. Right? Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Right? Their hearts, the purity that they have in their hearts, the kind of heart that Christ desires. The huge lesson for children to teach us. And my last be bold moment in church topic and in engaging the church is in the area of worship. And I want to speak to you guys from the theme of worship just to just frame up an interest of my heart to see you guys, all of us really, worship more wonderfully, perhaps. And So I, I, I married this girl who would get her degree in music education, who would work on her master's and study music doxology and music ethnicity or whatever, I don't know, these huge things, right? And all the conversations we have at our house somehow find their way into music. And I've been gifted in life to be able to sing, and so that has thrust me up here a few times. Like my mom started me playing violin when I was just four years old, and so music is just really real to our family. One of the things that often shocks me in church is our ability as believers to put our self-interests 
first. Now, I do that. I mean, I just want to be honest that, like, last Sunday, when I left worship, I picked all six of my favorite songs, right? Like, I hope you guys keep singing Oh, Praise the Name, like, forever and ever. That is an amazing song, right? We all do it. We all love to worship through our preference. But it is heartbreaking to engage into a conversation and to not be able to say to the other person, are you making this about you? Or are you making this about Christ, right? Because worship is about giving God the praise and the glory and ascribing it to God. Whenever I I think about worship, I think about two things. One, if we fail to proclaim God, the rocks will cry out. And I don't know if you've ever thought about a rock crying out, but I'm guessing it's not in some beautiful 4-4 rhythm. It's not in a major C chord. It probably doesn't have much beauty to it, right? I just always think about that. That, like, if we don't worship, the rocks are going to do it, and it's worship. It's crazy. Or I think of John 4. I always think of chapter 4 verse of, of John, right? That's the Samaritan woman. I just love that passage. You know that about me by now. Right? Remember in the end when she kind of gets it and she's like, okay, I get that you love me and you want to offer me everything. And then she says, well, how do I worship you? Like, what do I do to worship you? Because I'm a Samaritan and I don't know your cultural way of singing, right? Or praising God or going to the tavern. I just want to worship you. And Jesus says to her that there is a day coming and that, in fact, it is now when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. That it will not be about the place. It will not be about the mountain. It will not be about, it will be about your spirit, your heart, and truth. One other thought that just takes you into the chasm of the mind of Shane, and it's a very bad place to get, but there's this deep thought that I just love. I was watching the Discovery Channel, and they had taken on the Discovery Channel uh, a microphone in outer space and done some recordings, and they were like buzzing around uh, the, the lunar bodies and then trying to buzz around one of the planets maybe. I don't remember where they were at, but all I remember is that the recording that was coming back, it was, like, hard to listen to. Like, it scared me. And there was nothing in it that seemed rhythmical or logical or seemed, it just seemed out there. God spoke that rhythm into creation, right? Like, God, his mindset, his ability to decide what is logical and beautiful is way outside of ours and to put God into a 4-4 box is not logical. Worship doesn't have to look like what you want it to look like. The only qualifiers in worship are that you do it in spirit and in truth. And truth means that the words matter. Yes, the words matter. The rest is about your heart. And I just hope that if you like the song or you dislike the song or you, man, that song just gets your toes tapping or, man, that one grinds your gears, 
that the words ascribed to God would be enough to make you shout it out to him. That you would make, in your mind, a decision to proclaim to God the glory that is due him, irregardless of what we call distraction. Let your worship be between you and God, in spirit and in truth. The last thing, on a personal note, worship is not always happy. And this is just a leap that I want to make to because it was an epiphany I had in the last 15 years on worship. Melinda and I have two boys. took us five years to bring Micah into the world and another four years to bring Gabriel into the world. And the desire was not to spread that out over nine years. The desire was to really have them right away. That's a, a unique thing for a woman to go through a longing of wanting to be a mother, to go through that maternity expectation, and then to not feel it realized. I know many women in this church have also felt that. On a side note, my mother has experienced depression. Horrendous depression. And I watched that as a child watched my mother just struggle through her depression. And one of the things that came out of that was a warped sense of protection that I, whenever I saw a moment that was sad or unhappy, wanted to tweak it, wanted to spin it back towards happiness right away because I was not going to let somebody get depressed. Fast forward to a very depressed wife who is wondering if God has forgotten her. One night I come home and she's woe in her spirit. She takes a bath. And I can hear her crying. And I think to myself, I'm going to give her a pep talk. That was the worst thought I've ever had in my entire life. Worst. I'm going to give her a pep talk. So I went in there and it's not okay for you to be sad like this all the time. Right? And the moment happened. Shane? You need to let me worship God. I said, this is not worship. And she said, what? What is wrong with you, Mr. Hollenbeck? This is absolutely worship. I am crying out to God that I am dependent on him. I'm ascribing to him his worth. That is worship. And I frame that up so that as we sit in a place where sometimes people cry and sometimes people laugh and sometimes we don't enjoy the preference and sometimes a hand goes up and sometimes people move and shimmy, that the way people feel and experience God is worship as long as they're ascribing it to the Creator. And it can be sad and it can be happy and it can be dancing and even go as far as David goes and dancing around in the streets naked, although I wouldn't prescribe that for any of you because you will go to jail. <laughs> Guaranteed. But I would love for you guys to be a church that worships from two music geeks to you. Our desires would be that you are a people who seek the church for real friendships or community. Our desires would be that you invest your family into the church, that you go all in with it, that you get involved in leading Awana, that you change diapers in the nursery, if you're a lady in this church, that you, <laughs> it's a qualifier, 
that you are the one to sit down and memorize Bible verses with the children. That you bring your family here even when you'd rather be at the lake. Which sometimes that's worship. That's another conversation for another day, right? That you bring your family here even when soccer is scheduled on Sundays. And our desire for you is that you give all of the worship to God. And that the rest doesn't matter. And that would be my prayer for you and Melinda's prayer for you. Yeah. I want to end with just some salutations. It's not really sermon time anymore. Those big three are the sermon. Can I just say thank you? <laughs> Nick, you're welcome. Thank you, Nick. You guys have been a wonderful family to us. Our closest friends are in this church. Baptized some of you. Prayed with some of you and cried with some of you. You've mentored me. You've loved my boys. You've loved my wife. Thank you. It's, I don't, it's not enough, but it's all I have to give. So, thank you. So let's now just close with a moment of thanking God in prayer. And then so we'll go on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Calvary. This is a unique opportunity to be invested and to serve you, to love you, but really you've given us so much more. You've loved us, you've served us, and you've taught us, and you've equipped us through this church. I just pray that we as a people would be engaged, that we would be present in the work that you're trying to do in our lives and in the community around us. And my heart for our people that we would continue to want to serve her, serve your church. And really, Father, we we don't want to lose sight of the reason that we love your church is because that we love your son. That this is all because of Jesus. That you did not love us enough to die for us. We would have no hope. We'd have no future. And we're just so awesomely perplexed that our future is rooted in hope that you will come, you will meet us and take us home, that we can be in your presence and in your glory forever and ever. We just pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.